This is the Blood Doctor Show on a very late Tuesday leading into a Wednesday. I guess by the time it will be edited and posted, it'll be a Wednesday. So we'll call it a Wednesday, whatever we want to call it. It's been a minute since I posted, not because I don't care and love the two people who give a shit about this podcast, but because I am in fact a crazy person who continues to struggle with the idea that there might even be two people who care about this podcast, which is unfortunately something that I put upon myself, blah, blah, etc. The reason that I constantly relay these things that make me look, I don't know, weak or uh, flawed or whatever the case may be is because I simply think that you're never listening to a podcast where the host opens up and says, what's up guys, I've been suffering severe anxiety lately and it's made it difficult for me to record this podcast. I think that they say things like, I've been on vacation or I had a family situation or whatever the case may be. And so I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to be very, very clear about what the situation is with me. And I'm going to be very honest because I also think that occasionally there might be a person out there who's listening who is trying to get through a day. And the reason I say this is because I often turn to sports podcasts when I'm trying to get through a day. Things aren't going how I want. A bet I made went bad. An investment I made went bad. A work decision I made went bad. Whatever it is, right? Something went poorly. And I turned to a sports thing and, you know, it goes okay or whatever. But sometimes I wish that someone would just, in the middle of all that, throw a positive affirmation my way. And so this is me doing exactly that. And maybe I'm opening with it and maybe I shouldn't be doing that. I don't know. Who cares? My point is... I spent forever trying to reach a point where I felt comfortable doing a regular podcast. And then I reached that point. And then I began to repeatedly struggle with reaching that point. And feeling like I was worthy of reaching that point or whatever the case may be. Why would anyone want to listen to me talk about sports, right? What do I know? I'm not an insider. I don't have information that other people don't have. It's not pertinent. Everything I say isn't relevant, blah, 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 you know. And and you can run through all the things over and over and over. I could cycle through it a million times. None of that is the point. The point is, and I've made it before. I'll make it again. The things that drag you down are not what you are, but your response to them is. And for me personally, when I sit here and I take a week off or 10 days off or whatever it is, it honestly makes me sick to my stomach. It makes me frustrated, which then makes me build more anxiety, which then makes me frustrated about what is going to be the next episode, which builds more anxiety and blah, blah, blah. And it just snowballs into a nightmare that I ultimately struggled to get over. So the reason I say all of this and the reason I say all of this on not, I don't, I don't think it's on the regular. I've said it a few times. It's not repetitive, whatever. It's like in less than 10% of episodes. The point is, The reason I say all of this is because if I, a person out here trying and succeeding in this case to put together hour long podcasts, a person with so much anxiety can get this done, then you can do whatever you're trying to do too. And I always look for people to reach out and tell me those things. And I hope that every now and then when I put this shit out there, someone feels the same way. 
And on the note of positive energy, I hate, again, I really, and maybe I just need to start ignoring some of these things, but it's disappointing to always have to be starting podcasts with rest in peace notices. We just lose too many people. And maybe that's just a fact of life, but we're losing so many people right now in sports. It feels like it feels like we're losing legends all the time. And Elgin Baylor is gone. And someone who had a tremendous impact on basketball. And I'm not going to sit here and outline it because there are a lot of people who are hardcore Lakers fans who do hardcore Lakers podcasts that are going to be able to do much more justice to that than I am. But rest in peace to Elgin Baylor. It's just sad. I know that this is just part of life. And I know that I'm making it seem worse than it is. And this is just, you know, how things go. And, you know, we have rest in peace notices and all these things. It's just still sad. It just feels like we're losing so many people. And that's what 2020 felt like, truthfully. I know that we all felt like every single day in 2020, some crazy new shit occurred that was more insane than yesterday. And all of us were like, I can't even believe that this is occurring. And that was what 2020 was like. And I, 2021 hasn't been that way. It's been less, but it still feels like we're losing too many sports legends all the time. And that's just a factor of time. You're always going to lose people. And that's part of it. But it still feels like it's too many. And this is just another one that sucks. And Elgin Baylor is a person who I always knew he was a really good player, but I didn't really know until all of this how good he was. And that is actually something that Zach Lowe said on his most recent show is that, you know, when you actually go look at how good Elgin Baylor was, when you actually look at the numbers, look at the stats, look at the accolades, you realize like, holy shit, this is a guy who should be held up way more often. And he's right. And that's true. And I, I acknowledge that I am not a person who, who knew that. And so that is, um, it sucks. And that's part of the game and part of life. And we will miss him. But if nothing else, the one good thing about this era is passing away in 2021 means that we're going to go dig up every single highlight that you ever had. We're going to go dig up every stat, every accolade. We're going to go find it all and we're going to make it proper. So I hope that every single person out there does every single thing that they can to properly memorialize Elgin Baylor, who, when you go look again, was a phenomenal fucking player. Moving to more current events, a lot has occurred um, since I last recorded, but I don't really want to go too much into trades or trade ideas because the trade deadline still hasn't passed. So as we know, you know, a lot of stuff can occur, but a couple of notes that I find interesting, sad, whatever the case may be. P.J. Tucker traded from the Rockets. Literally all of us knew that was going to occur. Went to Milwaukee. Good for him. Um, he hasn't been super involved, at least in the offense so far. So we'll see what that means in terms of, you know, does he have a big role in the playoffs or whatever. But nonetheless, given everything that occurred with the Rockets and giving what P.J. meant to that team, I'm happy for him to be traded to an organization that has these goals. But, you know, from P.J.'s perspective, you know, he like wanted an extension. So, you know, I, I feel for him because I don't know what the situation is going to be for him because the utilization in Milwaukee hasn't been huge so far, but you know, I hope the best for him. I really do. You know, PJ is a dude who played his ass off in Phoenix. Um, 
Phoenix out in Toronto. He played his ass off there. He's played his ass off in Houston. He's just, you know, he's a really good player. A perfect glue guy. A really good modern role player. And hopefully things go well with the Bucks. I feel really bad for Steven Silas, though, man. Like, I was the person who sat here and said that things might go well for the Rockets. Like, I even said after the whole Oladipo trade, like, that late, I was like, hey, man, I love the idea of John Wall and Oladipo together. I think they actually fit. And my man Jabari Davis was like, yeah, you're missing the point that Tillman is just going to tank this team into the ground and sell it. And what do you know? He was exactly right. And I mean, this, you know, this organization is just falling apart. Tillman has lost money in the pandemic. He never should have been allowed to buy the team in the first place. You know, Les Alexander certainly wasn't selling to the person that he thought he was. But when it comes down to it, all these dudes are rich white dudes. Who's, so, you know, who fucking cares anyway? Fuck them. Tillman sucks. And I feel like he's a Trump guy anyway. Fuck him. Whatever. The point is, the Rockets, they're just, they had a great organization. They were a really good team that was competing for titles. That was really the only team pushing the Warriors in the height of the Warriors dynasty. And now they're garbage. And it's sad. And it's just sad to see. And what pisses me off most about this is that Steven Silas is a really fucking good coach. Steven Silas is a really brilliant, bright guy. He is a genius basketball mind. He is A+. plus. He is whatever superlative you can come up with. He, I, I've said a million times I love Steven Silas. Like, I've, I've been on it for years. He's just, he's one of the best offensive minds in the league. And he took one of the toughest jobs around, and now he's been saddled with, like, one of the worst situations in the league. And people are going to hang this on him. And that pisses me off, honestly. It pisses me off, because he just doesn't deserve it, and it's frustrating. And he came into a situation where, like, Stephen Silas came into a situation where he had to fix the James Harden and Russell Westbrook thing. And find a way to make it work with Christian Wood. And then, (laughs) uh, I just, I'm really frustrated because I have been sitting here, I have been championing Steven Silas as a coach for years. Like, I was advocating for Steven Silas to get the Rockets job when Mike D'Antoni got it, okay? That's how long I've been a stan of this dude. And so... I'm like losing my shit because I feel like something's going to happen and he's going to somehow take the blame for James Harden deciding to bail on this organization. And it just, all of this stuff stems from Tillman Fertitta being the worst managing partner in the NBA right now. And thanks for taking that honor from Robert Sarver, bro. But fuck me. Uh, the Rockets are a dumpster fire. And I just feel so bad for my friends who are Rockets fans because they love that team. They really do. Like, honest to God, man, Rockets fans and Pistons fans love their fucking teams. Like, seriously. Like, they love their team. And it's great. 
And it sucks that they are both run by people who don't understand what it takes to actually win. And I get it because I went through a decade of this with the Suns. I get it. I understand it. It sucks. And I feel bad for those people. And I just, it's the worst. And I just, I feel bad for my friends who love the Rockets because they're like true fans. They know every dude down to the 15th man on the roster. They know people in the G League. They know the assistant coaches. They know everything. They know the team. They know the organization. They know all of it. Rockets fans absolutely love that team. And Tillman Fertitta has taken what was a proud championship contending organization. And he has ground it into the fucking dust. And like, quite truthfully, it's been like a Thanos level destruction, like a finger snap and it's over. And I know that it hasn't been that quick, but in terms of like NBA level destroying the competitiveness of your team, it's pretty fucking finger snap just to be goddamn honest about it. And it's depressing and it sucks. Moving to the buyout markets and their impact, there have been three players who, who sort of knew all season were going to be bought out. Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, and then most recently LaMarcus Aldridge. Griffin has joined the Nets. Drummond was originally believed to be going to the Nets and now believed to be going to the Lakers, still not bought out, at least as of this moment. And LaMarcus Aldridge, also still not bought out, believed to be going to the Miami Heat. The point is, it's really interesting because in the past, as we know, buyouts really don't make a whole lot of difference. But the Blake Griffin thing especially, you know, like a guy like Kukalil, who a Pistons fan, NBA dude, Kukalil, NBA on Twitter, um, you know, he basically said, what is the argument for Blake Griffin being successful with the Nets? And I said, well, the argument is Nick Batum with the Clippers. Nick Batum has actually been a successful player and a successful sort of revamped player or refurbed player (laughs) with the Clippers. And, you know, he basically said, you know, but have you watched Blake this year? He's been terrible, blah, blah, et cetera. And it's true. It's all very true. Blake's been terrible. But I think that people are, you know, simply forgetting the fact that it's possible that Blake Griffin wasn't trying. And... You know, the idea that Andre Drummond isn't going to be helpful, like, the man is still in his, you know, mid to late 20s. Like, he's still in his physical prime. I think that we're kind of forgetting the value of some of these guys and some of what they provide. There's there's a little bit of an off-balance thing right now. And the thing with Blake Griffin, yeah, he doesn't have his... You know, he doesn't have the athleticism he once had. He's, he can't dunk like he used to. He can't jump like he used to. But, I, you know, you watch the Nets game tonight playing Portland. And Blake had multiple defensive stops. And the thing is, is that everyone agreed going to Brooklyn that Blake was going to be able to, he, you know, we know he can pass. And he hasn't shot well this season, but he is a good shooter. And, you know, maybe his knees are shot, but... Maybe he just wasn't trying that hard. You know, maybe he can get the percentage up, figure out the way to become a serviceable shooter, whatever the case may be. The point is, playing for the Nets, he's setting multiple screens. He's dishing multiple nice passes. He's flying to the corners for triples. And in this game, he made multiple defensive plays. He blocked a shot. He grabbed a lob that was thrown up for an alley-oop. I mean, it wasn't perfect. 
Derek Jones Jr. got behind him for one alley-oop. I don't know if prime break Blake Griffin could have blocked that one, like truthfully. Um, but it wasn't perfect. And I'm not saying that Blake Griffin can ble- be an elite player and be what he once was. And, oh, Blake Griffin is, you know, one of the many stars in Brooklyn. You know, no one's sitting here trying to be like, there's four stars in Brooklyn and Blake Griffin is one of them. That's not what it is. But you're trying to tell me that the guy can't be a serviceable backup center? Yeah, he definitely can. And he proved it in a game like this. And I know that Portland isn't a phenomenal team, but like, again, (laughs) Brooklyn's in the East. Not every single game is going to be phenomenal. And maybe Blake Griffin can't hold up against Joel Embiid. Fine. Like, I completely acknowledge that. But not every minute of every single playoff series of every single game is going to be Joel Embiid. And if you're really going to tell me that a guy who's as smart as Blake Griffin, who dishes those passes, who can set solid screens, who can literally function as like a backup or third string point guard, essentially, like you're going to tell me that that guy can't provide value to team full of superstars. Like, of course he can. And, you know, they found a way to win this game and Blake was huge. And a lot of the minutes that he played were next to Nick Claxton. So that's another really interesting thing is that, you know, the whole thing was, well, if they acquire Blake Griffin, does that prevent the Nets from playing Nick Claxton and getting him minutes at center? Like throughout the second half, they played those two together and it worked quite well. They won the game. And I'm not saying that they can do that all the time, but it starts to make you wonder, is there a possibility that we're going to see a closing lineup in the playoffs of Harden, Kyrie, Durant? And then Griffin and Claxton. That's a very big lineup outside of Kyrie. Like, that's a pretty solid lineup in terms of size. And who knows what that team will be able to do in terms of, like, switching defensively and defending the rim and all those things. I understand all that. It may not work very well against Philadelphia, at least on defense. Like, I understand all of those thoughts. But everyone's sort of penciled in Joe Harris and DeAndre Jordan in as closers at the beginning of this season. And they were like, well, I don't know about these two. But if you look at what's going on right now, especially given that Jeff Green is playing like really nice minutes as a backup five as well, like all the things that I really started to worry about with the Nets, like some of them have really been solved. The rim protection stuff is still there. Nick Claxton is a serviceable rim protector at this point. He's still young. So he doesn't know all of the coverages and things like that. But he's got all of the athleticism that you would need. DeAndre Jordan does not have all the athleticism that you would need. He knows the coverages, but he can't do, you know, what he could once. Jeff Green um, and Blake Griffin. You know, Green has more athleticism than Griffin at this point. Um, but, you know, suddenly the Nets are just deeper than they were. And if Kyrie and KD are healthy... You know, I've been, I went on dunks and discourse with, uh, you know, Jabari and Josh and said that I thought that it was going to be Nets and Sixers in the conference finals. And I thought that the 76ers would win. And the Nets are really starting to make an argument that they're the better team. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not going against my own prediction. I still think that the Nets defensive problems are really going to rear their head in the playoffs, but you can start to see where the alternate argument is. I'll tell you the one argument for the Nets that I'm not buying. And it's an argument that a lot of other people are not buying. And 
I'll just say this. I'm not the only person to say this, but I'll tell you why in a moment. Number one, everyone is sitting here talking about how phenomenally James Harden is playing with the Nets. It's like, this is exactly how he played with the Rockets. But when he played this way with the Rockets, everyone hated it. And now he's playing that way with the Nets. Everyone loves it. And multiple other people have pointed this out. Rosillo pointed it out. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not inventing this, right? But I think what people are missing is that they're saying, oh, well, yeah, but he was always this good, blah, 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 etc. No, you're missing the point. Is that these are the same regular season theatrics that won him MVPs that flamed out in the playoffs. Okay, it's one thing to score 40 or 50 points against a team that is only marginally prepared for you in the middle of the season. And that is what Harden has always done. And so you look at these games where he put he's putting up these incredible numbers and people are like, oh my God, he's playing at a level he's never played at. <laughs> yeah, no, he did. He played at that level in Houston all the time. And then the playoffs came and it fell apart like every time. And you might sit here and say, well, he never had Kevin Durant and Kyrie. Well, he did have Chris fucking Paul, man. When Chris Paul was... Still one of the best players of the game. And by the way, Chris Paul right now, still one of the best players in the game. So we still had Chris Paul. And they were close to defeating the Warriors before Paul injured himself. We all know that. But the point is, everyone loves to sit here and say, well, Harden. Everyone, well, they used to love to sit here and say, Harden is blah, 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 failure. Regular season only. Playoffs garbage. And now they're all sitting here like, well, the Nets are a juggernaut and unstoppable. And I just... We have to see something in the playoffs. You can't sit here and tell me that Harden is a failure in the playoffs and Kyrie only exists because of LeBron and KD is a product of Golden State, but then that they're all a juggernaut together. Like, just have some sort of consistency. And I'm not even saying that I don't believe those things, but I don't understand how people who used to hate James Harden suddenly love him. And I don't understand how people who used to say that James Harden was a regular season only guy are suddenly saying that now how he's playing is going to be unstoppable in the playoffs. He's not playing any fucking differently. Just from all sides, consistency. Everyone just needs to look at the situation and look at it with consistency because everyone is looking at it with recency bias. And I mean, everyone, people who hated James Harden before people who loved James Harden before everyone is looking at this with recency bias. It's the same. It's been the same. He is going to struggle more in the playoffs. But this time, he has Kevin Durant and Kyrie around him. So he will struggle less. But the relative health of Kevin Durant matters. And the relative engagement on defense of Kyrie matters. All of these things are important. And they can all be true and not detract from each other. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that, like... You're sitting here, you being national media people, and saying that, well, Harden now is on a level that I don't know how anyone will stop him in the... Like, it's the same. It's literally no different than before. And for anyone who would make the argument that it's no different than before, and there are some national people who have made that argument, you should then be pointing out that you can't make the argument of Juggernaut. And the people who are pointing out that Harden is playing the same way are also making the argument of Juggernaut. How can you tell me that he's playing the same way, a way that you know fails in the playoffs, and then claim that you know now for sure that that way is unstoppable in the playoffs? 
Just, 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 just think. Just think when you're saying A to Z, make sure it's the same A to Z. Just make sure you're reciting the same alphabet each time. That's all I ask. It's not that difficult. But I guess it is for some of these people. Fucking Rosillo and Simmons, man. <laughs> Let's not go there. Anyway, I really like Drummond on the Lakers because he takes over the Dwight Howard spot from last year. And especially if Anthony Davis isn't 100%, if you're the Lakers, you want someone to be able to bang in the post next to uh, AD. So Drummond going to the Lakers, even with his free throw problems and all that stuff, I think that's a really smart move, uh, especially given that Gasol has not looked so great. And if they really do have a line on Drummond, I wouldn't be shocked if they traded Drez. I've looked at a few different Trez trades. I kind of wonder if there's like a way to put Trez and a couple other salaries together for Oladipo. I kind of feel like that could be a thing the Lakers are looking at. I don't know. Especially if they got Drummond. I don't know. Anyway, those are thoughts that I've had. But um, And then as far as the Marcus Aldridge to the Heat goes, um, I really feel like if anyone can figure out a way to make LaMarcus Aldridge an effective player at this point, I feel like the Heat would be the team. Um, I thought the Suns might be in on Aldridge just because they had previously had their interest in him. And, you know, I have said a bunch of times I thought this team could use a backup center, but the Suns acquired Torrey Craig for like nothing. Like literally just Robert Sarver paid money to acquire a player for once, which (laughs) I can't even believe. Instead of salary dumping a player, we acquired a player. And by the way, Craig tonight, Played really nice for the Suns. Hit a triple, dished a nice pass. Was playing some good defense. Torrey Craig is a dude who could play rotation minutes for the Suns in the playoffs. And the Bucks just basically handed him over. So that was super nice. But in any case, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, the one team I really believe could get something out of him would be the Heat. So if that's where he's going, I think that's like a smart thing for him. There has been one debate. That's been going on here in Sunland, Sunsland, Phoenix Sunsland, whatever the fuck you want to call it. It's basically interesting because there have been a few games where Dario Saric has finished the game instead of DeAndre Ayton, and it's basically caused everyone to lose their minds. And, you know, DeAndre Ayton's the number one pick, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, no one's really paying attention to the fact that the Suns are 21 and 5 over their last 26 games. They're just trying to find something to complain about. This is one of the hottest teams in the NBA. So let's find something to bitch about. That's how the fan base is acting. It's pissing me off. Nonetheless, there's a whole lot of discussion about the shards versus Aiden thing. And my take on this is just like, why are you talking about versus? Why are you not fucking thrilled that you have two centers that you can deploy based on matchups? If you have monstrous slow dudes that need a guy out there to just use wingspan, you've got Aiton. If you've got slightly quicker, (laughs) and I can't, you know, Sarch has done a little better against teams that are a little quicker, but less large in terms of size, even though Sarch is, you know, shall we say, not athletic. But the point is, why is anyone... Like, why are you mad? This is great news. Do you know what's great news? Great news is having so many good players that you have to figure out how to deploy them. The thing that upsets me most about the Suns is that Javon Carter sees, like, no minutes. 
And the reason that Javon Carter sees no minutes is not because Javon Carter is not a good player. It's because the Suns are so incredibly fucking deep that it's difficult to get minutes for everyone who deserves minutes. And you're trying to tell me that you can have 48 minutes of really good center play and that's something that upsets you? (laughs) It's dumb. And furthermore, let's go back and look at the trade that was made for Dario Saric and Cam Johnson because I championed that trade when it occurred. Let's be fucking very clear about that. I was thrilled at the idea of getting Saric and a prospect. The Suns traded the sixth pick, Jarrett Kohler, who was the best player at that time, who was who Minnesota ended up taking. I liked Culver. I thought it would be good in the NBA. I wasn't sure about the trade 100% until I saw that we were getting charged on top of taking another player. Now, the Cam Johnson thing was questionable. Brandon Clark was available, blah, 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 all those things. But for the modern NBA, you're going to tell me that Cam Johnson hasn't been a perfect pick? You're going to tell me that acquiring Dario Sarich when you're moving back wasn't awesome? Especially given the fact that Jarrett Culver has been an absolute fucking bust? Both Sarich and Cam Johnson crush all of Culver's stats in literally every area. So you acquired two players who destroyed this other player. (laughs) No one ever sits here and talks about what a phenomenal trade that was. It was an incredible trade. I said it was an incredible trade the day it fucking happened, and I still believe it. And the Sharks thing, like, yeah, he hasn't been the player that everyone expected coming into the league because people thought he was going to be a small forward, and now he's a center, whatever, who cares? He fits in perfectly with what the Suns are doing. And his hook shot is one of the most underrated hook shots in the league. And he's a completely underrated defender. He is a really solid passer. There was one sequence in this game where Sarge got the ball in the post. He didn't have a good game, okay? He had four fouls. He was in foul trouble. That's one of his primary issues. But there was one sequence where he got the ball in the post. They doubled him. He whipped the ball out to Chris Paul. Paul whipped the ball to the other corner to Galloway, and Galloway hit a three and got a foul on top of it because the recovery off of Dario's double was so hard that they ran into Langston. But that all starts with having to double Dario Sarge. I'm not saying that Dario's always going to draw doubles and he's disforced, blah, 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 but go look at his per 36 numbers. The dude's averaging 20 points per 36. He's scoring a lot. He's a force. He's been really good. And especially at $9 million, which obviously it's a lot of money in real life, but in terms of NBA money, for a dude providing like starter level minutes at that money, it's incredible. And it's just something that people need to look at and be impressed with because like people view Dario Sharch as like a throw in on that trade. People were like, oh, the Suns are trading back and they just took Sharich and they should have taken Culver, blah, 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 blah. All these and Cam Johnson is an infinitely better player than Jarrett Culver. And Dario Sharich is an infinitely better player than Jarrett Culver. That was a home run trade. It was a win. It was a win in every single way. And it's something that doesn't get lauded at all. And it should be. And everyone loves to sit here and bury the Jalen Smith pick. Yeah, I think that James Jones has earned the right to get a little bit more time on that one. And maybe Jalen Smith will end up being a bust. Who knows? But 
given every single thing that James Jones has done so far and where the Suns are now, I'm giving that motherfucker the benefit of the fucking doubt. That's where I am. I don't want to talk about the Aaron Gordon thing too much because, you know, by the time I post this, it's going to be resolved or whatever. But Aaron Gordon has requested a trade from Orlando. And truthfully, I really want to see him end up in Boston. But I see all these things. It's like supposedly Marcus Smart being traded for Aaron Gordon. That shit is stupid. There is no scenario under which the Celtics should trade Marcus Smart that doesn't involve a superstar. Okay. Marcus Smart means more to the Celtics than he would mean to any other team. He is the heart and soul of that team. He's the fire of that team. He is the defensive anchor of that team. And sometimes he's the best damn shooter on that team. It's just how it goes. Marcus Smart fits that team like a fucking glove. And the only way you trade him if is, is if it's for a superstar. And Aaron Gordon is not a superstar. The Celtics have a traded player exception. They've got all their first round picks and they've got a couple of interesting young players. Trade them. Trade a couple of your interesting young players and a couple of your picks and get Aaron Gordon. That is smart. Because despite how frustrating Kemba has been, a crunch time playoff lineup, crunch time playoff small ball lineup at least, of Kemba, Smart, Brown, Tatum, and Aaron Gordon is a fucking nightmare for a lot of reasons. I understand that the Kemba thing has not worked out how they hoped. I understand that I championed the Kemba thing and it hasn't been good. I get all of that. Fuck it. The simple fact of the matter is that Kemba is on your team and you might as well maximize that. And here's something that I, this is not a belief that I came up with at all. Zach Lowe has said this a million times. The best thing for Aaron Gordon is to be Draymond Green, essentially. He should be modeling himself after Draymond Green. I have to agree with that, and I really think that the Celtics scenario would allow him to do that. How would he hold up against Embiid playing center? Sure, you'd need to get Tice in those games. You'd need to, if you kept Tristan Thompson in the trade, he would need to play in those games. I understand all of those things. I understand that matchup dependent, it wouldn't always be perfect. But I think that people, Aaron Gordon... I really think he's underrated. I really think he's a good player. Again, I'm not the first person to say this. I'm not trying to repeat anyone's ideas, but it's just true that he's never played with the point guard. It's always been a flawed system. And if you're just trying to tell me that Aaron Gordon can't succeed a little better than he has in a broken team, I just don't think that. I don't understand how everyone can simultaneously believe that Orlando is bad at everything in terms of coaching and player development, but also that some of their players wouldn't be better elsewhere. Those things can't both be true. And I just really like the fit of Aaron Gordon in Boston, and I hope that they make that deal. And I'm sure that by the time I post this podcast, Aaron Gordon will be traded somewhere else. The 76ers-Warriors game tonight was an interesting one. No Curry, no Embiid. So it was, you know, the other guys sort of game, and 76ers won. Um, Tobias Harris is having a really nice season. And it's really interesting that he honestly just plays his best for Doc Rivers. That's been sort of just true throughout his career. His best season before this was really with the Clippers. And now in this scenario, it's, it's, you know, again, he's, he's playing the best he's ever played. And, you know, it makes some sense. Doc has 
played a lot of years not playing the sort of standard pick and roll ball. Obviously, with Chris Paul, it was different, you know, and, you know, they played a ton of pick and roll ball with Blake Griffin and um, DeAndre Jordan and, and all that stuff. But, you know, with the Celtics, it was not a whole lot of pick and roll. There were, you know, different scenarios. And um, after Chris Paul left the Clippers, they played a very different style of game um, outside of, you know, again, Lou Wiz, Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. I mean, Doc has really been a person who he Mike D'Antoni does everything out of the pick and roll. Everything, all of it, every single action is pick roll, pick roll, pick roll. And he allowed some of that to change with the Rockets. You know, he sort of just let it go and let, you know, James Harden do his thing and whatnot. But go back and watch, you know, D'Antoni's son's teams when it was all his choice and all it was was pick and roll. And, you know, obviously things change. You have to make adjustments. I understand all of that. But Doc Rivers has been a coach who has not always relied on a standard pick and roll type offense. And given that Philadelphia is not a team that has standard pick and roll personnel because they just don't have a traditional point guard. It's really not shocking that they've succeeded this season. And it's really not shocking that Tobias Harris has succeeded in this role. And so, you know, you watch a game like this and, you know, and beads out and the 76ers find a way to win. Um, It's just, it's really interesting. It's just interesting to see a lot of us, myself included, trash the Doc Rivers hiring. Um, You know, just given everything that had gone on with the Clippers in the last few years, it was weird to think that you would, like, jump to hire Doc. But I think that maybe what the 76ers identified is sort of what Brett Brown identified but could never figure out was that this was not a standard pick-and-roll team and that they're going to have to operate in different ways. And Brett Brown could never sort of unlock that. And maybe Doc could, given that he has dealt with teams that, again, operated in that way. And so far, it's worked well. You know, who knows what they'll do in terms of, you know, playoffs as his team, a championship contender. I've said that I think they're going to get there. Um, but overall, I, you know, I just have to say, you know, I guess, mea culpa, I trashed the Doc Rivers hiring. And it's really worked out for the 76ers, if only because Doc is capable of adjusting his team for, you know, non-modern NBA play. Not to say that the 76ers don't play a modern style at all, but there's a lot of dribble handoffs. There's a lot of side to side, and there's a lot less straightforward point guard, pick and roll, drive to the hoop, you know, throw it to the forward or center. There's a lot less of that sort of stuff, and there's a lot more side to side action. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing to say that that can't be successful, but I definitely think that that was part of the calculus of the 76ers hiring is that they saw that Doc had had success doing that and specifically had success with Tobias Harris, who they had locked into a five-year deal. Those things occur. So I think it's interesting. As far as the Warriors go, I also think it's really interesting. Um, you know, the whole wiggins Zubray thing it started off as a disaster. And there's been some sort of like, well, they've recovered. Like, Oubre's still shooting 30% on the season from three. So, like, not quite. But Wiggins really has, like, Wiggins is shooting, um, like, 47% on the year. He's shooting, like, 38% from three. He's averaging 18 points a game. Wiggins really has 
turned it around a little bit. And it is going to be interesting to see, like, is there some possibility that Steph, Clay, Draymond, Wiggins, and Wiseman next year, is that something? Because if Wiggins continues to kind of fit in and you bring back an all-NBA player and maybe Wiseman takes a step forward, it's... It's actually interesting. The Warriors have a little bit more going on than we thought. And I think that, you know, I was a big advocate of the Wiseman pick. And I think that this is starting to show up how they want it. You know, I think they really did want to trade for James Harden. I said this a bunch of times. And, you know, from everything that we can see uh, and everything we've heard, Kevin Durant basically told James Harden, like, you don't want to play for Steve Kerr. Um, Kevin Durant and Steve Kerr hate each other. It's come out again this week. It's been a thing. Um Kerr's kind of a dick about it, but the point is is that Kevin Durant definitely didn't love Steve Kerr, didn't love playing for Steve Kerr, and he certainly told James Harden about that at one point, and what do you know? James Harden and Kevin Durant are playing together in Brooklyn, not in Golden State. So those things are certainly interesting. Um, one other thing on Golden State that's interesting is the whole Draymond saying that he thinks he's the best defender of all time. Um, and some people have met that with derision. He's not the best defender of all time, but he's in the top five. Like, if you look at the best defenders of all time, there's a group that's probably pretty clear cut. Um, just in terms of the effect that we know they all had. Um, and, and there will be people who would argue with me. But, I mean, I think Draymond's in that top five. Um, rounding it out, of course, would be Michael Jordan, Bill Russell, Scottie Pippen, and then uh, Tim Duncan. Um, Draymond is one of the best defenders ever. He's an incredible defender. He got absolutely worked by Marc Gasol in the 2019 finals. Let's not forget that. But Draymond is an all-time great defender. And the things he says about, you know, people don't understand how complex defense is and that most people don't see the game the way he does are completely true. I don't understand how anyone could argue that. Like, is anyone really going to sit here and say that they, as a fan or a blogger or a whatever, know the game as well as Draymond Green? Like, of course not. The man's won ring upon ring upon ring. The man is the defensive anchor and actually the point guard, both, of an NBA dynasty. He's phenomenal. He's one of the best players of all time. So let's be very clear that Draymond Green is a Hall of Fame legend type player. Probably not the best defensive player of all time, but he's like very close. I mean, Michael Jordan, Bill Russell, Tim Duncan, like those three. I mean, it's it's hard for me to put anyone above them. Scotty, too. I mean, maybe you put Draymond above Scotty. You make your choices. My point is. If Draymond is going to sit here and say, I'm the best of all time, he's in the discussion. And I bet you there are a lot of people who could sit down and make a mathematical argument that would prove that he was the best defensive player of all time. So for the people who are trashing him and, oh, he doesn't belong there. And, you know, I saw some people because the argument was with like Tony Allen. You know, there are some people, Tony Allen was a better defender than Guys, Tony Allen was never a better defender than Draymond Green. Tony Allen was a very good defender. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
But Draymond Green was literally the defensive anchor of one of the best teams of all time. (laughs) That's not an argument. Like, we all respect Tony Allen. We all know how good of an individual defender Tony Allen was. And that's great. Being a really good individual defender does not make you the anchor of an elite all-time defense. And that's what Draymond Green is. And to say anything else is disingenuous. And so you have to look at only the anchors of great all-time defenses. And, okay, Pippen and Jordan played together. I'm sure some people would want to argue that and put, you know, there will be changes. I, I understand that. But my point is, there's no way to argue that Draymond Green is hands down, ultimately, no question, the best defender of all time. And there is also no way to argue that he is hands down, no question, out of the top five. He's a really, really elite, really great defender and one of the best ever. And he deserves to be in the discussion. And it's one of those things that's probably, you know, it's one of those things that's like, what kind of defender do you want? Draymond deserves to be in the top five picks of what defender do you want based on your kind of defense. And in that case, maybe that does make him the best of all time if you can anchor an all-time defense on him. Fair enough. He deserves to be there. I wouldn't put him there. I'll still always take Bill Russell. But anyone saying that this discussion is stupid or that he shouldn't be there simply doesn't know basketball. And by the way, Dennis Rodman, honorable mention. I'm sorry, man. Dennis might punch me, and I'm scared of that. And he deserves to be there, too, but I can only choose five. I apologize. Here in a moment, my man Keith is going to join me for a discussion about the Snyder Cut of Justice League, which will contain spoilers. So keep that in mind if you're going to listen. Again, spoilers will exist. But I just want to um, I just want to say one thing before we dive into that. As we know, there was a shooting in Boulder, Colorado. Um, I just want to read this tweet real quick because we all have different feelings on guns. We all have different feelings on hunting, all those things. But just consider the difference between a gun and an assault rifle. If you're a person who believes in guns, I'm not trying to make an argument against the right to bear arms. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just consider the difference between owning a gun and owning an assault rifle. When a person just killed 10 people in a grocery store. And I just want to read this tweet. And this is from no lie with Brian Tyler Cohen at no lie with BTC. And I'm just going to read this. Holy shit. Boulder, Colorado passed an assault weapons ban in 2018. The NRA sued the city and a judge struck down the ban 10 days ago. The Boulder shooter bought the gun six days before the shooting. These deaths were the direct result of the NRA's intervention. So just for anyone who thinks about guns as a necessary right, or hunting as a necessary right, all of those things. I'm not trying to make an argument that those things shouldn't be true. I'm asking you to consider the possibility that 
there are people out there who want to use your belief in hunting for nefarious deeds. Look at what the NRA has done. The National Rifle Association went out of their way to make sure that machine guns were available, which a citizen then used to slaughter civilians. Not kill animals, not defend a home, not defend the Second Amendment. They used it to kill people. And before you say, well, anyone could blah, 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 but people overwhelmingly use assault rifles to kill lots of other people. And the simple fact of the matter is you don't need an automatic weapon for this stuff. And I just don't understand every real hunter I've ever known, every person I've ever known who was a hunter, like a real hunter, would think that using a multi-shot automatic weapon was pathetic as a way to hunt animals. That's not how you hunt. Which means that the people who are like advocating for this are conservative douchebag bullshit shitballs losers who go to their local gun range and fire a bunch of shit and never actually have ever done anything in their lives. And I just, I don't know who listens. I just, I would ask you, please, don't support the NRA. If you're a member of the NRA, revoke your membership. There are plenty of organizations that support responsible gun ownership. If you believe in responsible gun ownership, there are plenty of organizations for that. And the NRA is not one of them. They're not responsible. They are a political organization, a deeply, deeply conservative political organization that uses gun rights to masquerade and cover their evil. And it just, there are other places to go. There's no, there's no need for this. There's no call for this. It does. It's not necessary. We don't, Every single time one of these mass shootings happens, The Onion reposts an article. And it's, quote, no way to prevent this, quote, says only nation where this regularly occurs. Whatever the phrasing is. And it's just, we don't have to do this. We can honestly be better. We can honestly choose to not make every single thing we do about violence. And I end with that depression to lead you into this discussion of the Snyder Cut, which was extremely depressing. Spoiler alert. And so I'm going to bring in my man, Keith Strader, to discuss with me the disaster that was the Snyder Cut. And again, spoilers for sure. Okay, well, I'll just be very upfront. I didn't like this. At all. I don't understand the point behind it. I feel like it was completely useless. I don't like it. I thought it was dumb. How did you feel about the first one? I liked it better. I mean, like the first time we went in to see Justice League, I was like, this is going to suck. And then it was like, oh, 
That didn't suck so bad. It was fine. And then this team, this time I was like, again, this is going to suck. And this time I was right. It definitely sucked. Like, <laughs> I, did you like the first version? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was entertained by it. You know, I didn't think it was the best thing ever, but. But it was worth watching. Yeah. This was not worth watching. Like, this was like, I, I don't even know where to begin. Like, uh, spoilers, spoilers. I don't even, I just, I don't even know. Where to, I mean, like, number one, like four hours is excessive. Just make two movies, you know, like it's just excessive in and of itself. Like it definitely feels long. You can feel the length. Well, and especially because like we had talked about watching it in segments, like legitimately, I have no clue where I would have broken. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you pause in the middle of that movie and not have to go rewatch the previous 20 minutes to have any fucking idea? Like wh- what even goes on in half the movie? Like, what did they add? I, I don't know. I couldn't, they changed the ending. Right. Um, and they added, seemed like they added some characterization be- between like the father and the cyborg a little bit. Yeah. I feel like they extended those scenes a little bit. And also between Lois Lane and the mother, I think there was some extra stuff there, but I really don't know. It was just like a ton of things. That, like I'm all for having more of cyborg in the movie. Yeah. But why? Like, they're like, we're going to focus more on Cyborg's story. So why is that, like, his father just making speeches and, like, you know, I just, it just, everything about this movie. I just, the thing, here's the thing that, like, because we know how this happened, right? They were filming Justice League. Unfortunately, Zack Snyder's daughter passes away from suicide, I believe. Terrible. Um, He steps away. Josh Josh Whedon takes over. Nobody really likes Justice League. Nobody likes the work that Joss Whedon did on it. So now they're like, we're going to fix it and, you know, put together the director's original vision. But that might imply that, like, he had one (laughs) or that it was a good idea. Like, I just don't even like I see nothing in this movie. The only thing that I felt was like worthwhile was, yeah, again, they tried to add more with Cyborg, which is good because Cyborg had been a whole major promotional thing. And then he was just barely in the movie, which, again, I think was a lot to do with Joss Whedon. But then they included Darkseid, at least to some extent, rather than just like referencing him. Okay, so he wasn't in the original. I don't know. I mean, I I, I probably should have watched it recently, but I don't remember Darkseid really being in the original one. And, you know, he's he certainly didn't play nearly as prominent a role Mm -hmm. if he was, you know, he was referenced. But I don't know that he was there, so. So I, I did like that kind of stuff. I did like his involvement in this. That's one of the few things that was better. But other than that, like, I don't even know. Like, I just don't. I it wasn't just don't worth even, two hours. Well, know. I don't understand what the point of any of it was. Like, I don't. What? I don't understand what value was provided. I think ultimately I really didn't add anything. I think it's just. For people that want an extended version at this point. It's almost like a DVD extra, like if you think about it. Like- well, and it's like the whole thing. Like they add all these subplots and things that supposedly would be resolved by future movies, but they're not doing those movies. So like, why are you adding all these subplots? Like, and then the movie ends 40 times. Like, <laughs> it just keeps going. And like, they literally did the shot where they're all standing there. And they show all the Justice League characters, which is an ending film shot. Then they individually went and showed them one by one, like doing <laughs> their things, which is which are also ending film shots. 
Then they did Cyborg's dad's whole speech, which is an ending film shot. Then they did the whole thing with Lex Luthor not being in the jail, which is an ending film shot. Then they did the thing on Lex Luthor... Lex Luthor's boat, which is like actually a post-ending pre-credits film shot, like which was it was in the original. Yeah, it just it's terrible. It it's this is like good filmmaking does not mean I'm going to cram in as many things as humanly fucking possible. And by the way, this is why directors don't typically edit their own movies. Mm-hmm. This is and this is why, like. You know, we're always like, oh, we should have the director's cut. Maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> Maybe we don't need the director's cut. This, because this is what happens, like, the, truly, most editing is done by other people because this is what occurs. is like, you can't get over your own vanity. And I made the Michael Scott joke of the, you know, at the wedding. Like, when time is not a factor. Like, because he just ended the movie over and over. He just did, like, eight different endings. Yeah. Why not? Who cares? I have carte blanche to make a 15-hour movie. He basically did, yeah. Yeah, he, he literally did whatever he wanted. If he yeah. had made five hours, no one, at, like, Warner was going to be like, oh, no. Yeah. Dude, four hours is fine, but five is too much. Like, they wouldn't have stopped him. Yeah. They didn't fucking care. They let him do whatever the hell he wanted to. And it's and it just, this is kind of what happens is it results in a vanity project. Like, <laughs> it's completely fine if my podcast is a vanity project. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I like, do it in my garage. It's fine. This is like Justice League, and and it's like a very popular property. It's like at least a hundred million dollars worth of reshoots or stuff. Yeah, like they spent it. like they spent a lot of money on this. Yeah. Like that's another thing. Like, like they did this on purpose. Yeah. Like they spent money to do this, and they were like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. Like they're like, you know, people probably watch this. So many, yeah. but the way they're promoting it, they're like, see the director's original vision, and it's like, okay, well. The director's original vision was bad. Yeah. So, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you mean the original director's vision? Yeah. It's, yeah, the original, well, the original director's original vision, yeah. essentially. But it's just, oh my God. I don't even, like, I can't think of a single, I was bored the whole time. I was just like, is it over? I was bored as well. I was so bored. Like, I just, there was nothing redeeming. It's not interesting. It's not fun. Not only that, but, like, they didn't even, like, update CGI Steppenwolf, like, at all. It's, like, mm-hmm. three years later. And as bad as it looked when the movie came out, it looks so much worse now. Hmm. Right? Like... You know, I honestly remember liking it less. I thought it was more egregious back then, but maybe I'd have just already been accustomed to that. Like, I mean, I suppose they could have made upgrades that I didn't notice, but I just... I felt before, and I feel now, that the Steppenwolf villain is lame as hell. He, he still, was a little better this time, I guess. He still looked like, you know, out of a video game. Yeah. You know. Yeah, seriously. And not even a recent video game. Like, right. it's, you know, it's just, oh, my God. And I don't, that's the one thing about, like, like Thanos, while he is cartoonish or whatever, he still is, you know, looks very um, human. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, he looks very. I, I don't know, like Thanos doesn't strike me as you know again, like yeah, that video game character or that cartoon character or like a joke. And this character, Darkseid isn't as bad to me, but yeah. for whatever reason, Steppenwolf just looks stupid. <laughs> like, he looks like a hammerhead shark. I think one thing, like since he's CGI and you're gonna add more time to this movie, why not just do some kind of backstory on him of. 
because they, they kind of started mentioning kind of a little bit about Steppenwolf and why he was doing what he was doing. Like, if he's CGI anyways, you don't have to get actors to come in to re- reshoot. You could fill in a little bit of time. Yeah, there was, he betrayed Darkseid or something. and Yeah. I mean, and it, I get, you know, but ultimately, I, I, I like, I, I'm like, no, 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 please don't. Because then they'll add like another half an hour to the movie. Like, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I would say, like, take out some of the half an hour of the stuff they added, which you don't even notice, like, and put that in instead. That's, no, that's fair. I mean, some of the stuff that they added is, like, so completely, like, the, yeah, like, the, the Lois Lane and Martha Kent scene where she's like, I lost the house, couldn't make the payments. The bit. Like, is that necessary? Like, mm-hmm. we really, do I have to, like, note? Like, I just don't, it's, there were so many things in this that just didn't. They didn't matter. Like, I just don't even... And I'm just, like, sitting there watching... I'm like... This, again, this is, like... Because here's the thing. This is pitched like, oh, no, dude. We've got so much footage. And we've got so many new stories and new subplots that this is four hours. But it's not four hours of, you know... This is not everything. This is just us putting literally the best stuff together on a grand scale. And that's not what this was. This mm-hmm. was literally just like the four hours they could scrape together. And I, if some, if someone argues with me about that, then I shudder to think what is on the remaining footage because this was terrible. What about the random addition of the epilogue with the Joker? Like <laughs> yeah. just referencing some. See, I thought this was going to be kind of more like uh anchorman 1.5 kind of thing where they had so much extra footage they almost made a second movie right out of that that's what i kind of thought we were going to get here but it was more like it was the same movie really which is longer scenes well the the original scenes just a little bit longer and it said like the hbo max tagline said new villains new stories you know see the director's original vision and it's like dude there's no new stories here. Like, there's no new. Vi- How is there a new villain? What 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 new villain did we legit again? I think it's just that they included Darkseid a little more mm-hmm. because there's no new villains. And even then, Darkseid is not a new villain. He's referenced throughout the original one, right, the whole time. So I just this to me like this to me reads as you know. I mean, like, good for them, I guess, for letting Zack Snyder put his movie together. Yeah, I think that's cool. But, I mean, I don't understand the point. Like, We don't have to like it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, I don't, I'm not trying to, like, you know, I know that Zack Snyder went through something traumatic when making this film, so I'm not trying to, but, like, if we're going to make the film, I'm not going to pull punches about the film itself. The film sucks. Like, it just, it's too long. And, I mean, I don't think I'm really breaking new ground by saying that a four-hour film is too long. No, no. But it's too long, and it's boring. There's just so much, like, you know, people walking around and looking at each other, and it just, I don't know. I Yeah, there's a lot of weird musical moments. Not like Not like a musical, but, you know, like... They didn't do... I feel like they cut, they toned way down on the, like, uh, playing their music. Like, they did use a little bit of the Wonder Woman theme. No, oh, yeah, they used that quite a bit. But, like, they didn't really use... Batman's theme, really? Nothing I You know, like, I don't know about... I know it's hers the most. The Wonder Woman one is, like, really the only one I even know. And maybe I just didn't notice the other ones, but, like, 
it felt like that was less prevalent this time. Like, I, I don't know. Like, it just, it literally felt like the same movie with all of the deleted scenes added, yeah. essentially. Which made it seem like pretty disjointed. Yes. Literally, the ending is so terrible. Like, it, yeah, again, yeah. it just ends over and over and over. And you're like, okay, well, this, well, it's over. Oh, no, no okay. It's over now. That's good. Oh, no, it's, it's more, you yeah. know, like, I just, I don't know. I, I, I mean, like, I would never watch this again. And I don't think that, like, if this somehow, didn't this feel like they're testing the waters to you of relaunching the series? Since they don't exactly know what to do with the pandemic, like this felt to me like they're testing the waters a little bit to see how many people signed up for HBO Max to watch HBO Max to watch this. It could be. It could be one of those things where they like this could be their HBO Max version of this universe, and they can just. I don't know. I think yeah. the thing is, there's just too many A-listers. Like you can't get Ben Affleck back to do this. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I just kind of wonder if. They were like, I mean, because here's like, why are you introducing new characters at the end of the movie? Right. Unless like you have some sort of. Like, I, I don't know. Like, if that was just his version of tying it up, if that was Zack Snyder's way of like tying the whole thing up and, and like presenting it as a nice little package, then like that dude seriously has lost his fucking ability to make. Can I ask you a question? Tie up anything. What is Zack Snyder's like? Why is he so well regarded? The only really good movie he's ever done, in my opinion, is Dawn of the Dead. And ever since then, he's done, like, okay. And everyone acts like he's one of the best directors in Hollywood. I straight up don't get it. I couldn't name another movie that he does. He did Watchmen, right? Oh, did he? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I remember Watchmen's like, fine. Like, okay. It was fine. Like, yeah. people, like, lost their mind over it. But it was fine. I mean. I you just... know, I, I did like Dawn of the Dead. I didn't like that. Yeah, and I mean, that was good. But I just, you know, he's presented as this sort of like, well... Well, he did like Man of Steel. Too, yeah, right? I, yeah, I guess he did the other Superman. And did he do Batman vs. Superman as well? Uh, yeah, I think he did both of those. Yeah, and they're like, well, they're fine. Like, really, those have gotten progressively worse. Like, Man of Steel, retroactively, Man of Steel was actually pretty good. When, like, looking back at these movies like especially like man of steel is significantly better than like most of the other stuff that dc has put out is that, is that the first one with henry cavill yes yeah. and then batman versus superman was is it the second one with henry? <laughs> yeah. henry and this is the third one with henry cavill yeah so i, I know i just wasn't sure if he did two superman movies and then a batman versus superman or if it was one superman and then batman versus superman yeah okay yeah i thought he got two supermans before he was in that one no, it was Man of Steel and then Batman vs. Superman and then this movie. Dang. So, yeah. yeah cause, no, because Man of Steel was 2013 and then Batman vs. Superman was 2016. Okay. So, yeah. So there was not another Superman movie. But I'm just saying, like, retroactively, looking back at these movies, like, Man of Steel was easily the best one. Because the rest of these... Man of Steel had, like, an interesting villain and, you know sort of set this whole thing off but i i mean they've just gotten like progressively worse like they just I, joker was good but it's in an alternate universe yeah it's still the dc extended universe right you could put that but, anywhere really like, right but i mean it's this universe. it's not this well it's the dc extended universe but not this universe yeah joker is a dc film not within this world i wouldn't say so 
Well, I mean, it's yeah. definitely not. It's definitely not. Because yeah. he's not, yeah. it's, he's not playing, it's not in that world. Interestingly enough, it almost seems like, well, I guess in that world, obviously, it doesn't almost seem like it's true. Batman doesn't exist yet in the, you know, in the. In the Joker? Yeah, yeah. That world, there's no. But I guess that tracks because in the original version, Joker kills his parents when he's a kid. Although it, I don't know if it's actually Joker or Joe Chill who kills his parents originally, regardless. It, yeah, the age different in Joker is like a little bit bigger, I would think, than the comics. Like he's almost like 15, 20 years older than Bruce Wayne. But that tracks with Robert Pattinson being the next Batman, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, that. That I think that's the thing is that if you look at Walking Phoenix's Joker and you look at Robert Pattinson is, then I think that it it matches, and I'm fine with Robert Pattinson being Batman after Tenet. So, yeah. Me too. Overall, though, this movie was terrible. I see no reason to for it to have been made. What other thoughts do you have, if any, on this movie? You know, if you have four hours to kill and it's not like too late at night and you're not tired, you could. Check this out. I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, if if you like the first one, and you want more for whatever reason, yeah. This series, if this if you it, love yeah. Justice League, yeah. if you absolutely love Justice League, and you just wanted to see more of that story, that would be the only reason to watch this movie. If you were just like Justice League is my jam, I love these characters, I love these villains, I want to see more of it. That would be the only reason. Might be your only chance. But this is like, none of it makes any sense. Like, just the, it's so. Get a comic book instead. Yeah, honestly, like, <laughs> I can't imagine that, like, DC super fans are, like, happy with the execution of the DC universe at this point. Like, I, I know that there was, like, they were, they were never going to be Marvel, and we all know that. But, like, <laughs> there's a big world between sucking completely. And Marvel. And, you know, they have not been able to hit that, you know, that ocean (laughs) in between those things. Like, it's just Joker is really the only one that's been good. Like, Aquaman was whatever. Like, you know, it wasn't special by any means. Really, none of the things that they have done have been. Like, Marvel probably has like 10 films in their Avengers storyline that's better than everything DC has made. You know what I mean? I know. It's it's pretty hard. I mean, I personally like the first Wonder Woman. I haven't seen the, seen the second one yet. Yes. Wonder Woman. The original Wonder Woman. Yes. I, I'm blanking on that one. That's my fault. Yeah. Wonder Woman is great. Um, that, that one is one of the best of all of them, including the Marvel movies. So you're right. Wonder Woman is awesome. I still need to watch 1984. No one liked it, so that's yeah. going to be really interesting to see. I still need to watch that one, but you know, I didn't see what people's reaction were to this one. Um, you know, I haven't looked because I didn't want to have it ruined for me because I thought there might actually be new information me or too. something to ruin. Me too. But nope. you know, nope, nothing new, nothing special. I just like if you were going to ask me, like, like I would give this like a five out of ten. Like, and I think that's being fucking generous. Yeah, I think that's generous, yeah. Like, I think a four out of ten or a three... Like, I hated this. Like, I didn't Suicide Squad hate this. Right. But, like, I... I... The Meg hated this. (laughs) You know? Yeah. It was just boring, you know? Yeah. It was just a waste of four hours. Like, I was just... Tired. Yeah, I'm just sitting there waiting for something to happen and... 
nothing i mean the only thing that ever happens is essentially what you already knew from the original one and again i suppose that if you look at just okay this is the justice league director's cut then okay yeah so it's going to be the same but that's not how they pitched it again the whole thing it was literally said new stories new villains so you're literally telling me it's a different movie and that is so not the case it's not and the movie itself is just so kind of like what you see is what you get. Yep. It's like very surface level. The acting isn't exactly that good. I mean, nobody really feels committed to what's good. And just some of the lines, like, just the things they say, like. I agree. It was, at some point, it's like, was it, you know, I don't want to, you know, disparage any writers or anything like that. But it does sound like at some point there wasn't that much effort was put into it. Like. <laughs> Something like you would hear, like written by a, so, someone like in high school that wrote a play or something like that. Exactly. Some of the dialogue is just so like, I, you know, I, I can't. Unfortunately, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. But it's so unbelievably basic and stilted. It, it just like the this like somehow felt like everyone just like showed up. Mm-hmm. And it's just funny because I didn't really feel that way watching it the first time, no. but it really does show like. That extra two hours is just too much. Yeah, I think it really just starts to let you think about the movie a little bit too much. And there's just so many, like, they show up for the battle sequence, and then they show up for another battle sequence, and it's just like, okay, and we're fighting the things, yeah. and... Well, there's a there's a couple times when the Flash gets, like, this, he, like, trips and gets wrecked, like, falls and bumps into all these things, and then, like, he just shows up later, totally fine. Like, you think it's gonna be a whole thing, like, when he's, like, charging up to touch the the square the first time to revive Sp- uh, Superman, Ugh. and then he does it, and then like gets ricocheted across the the uh, ship or wherever they're inside of, and you're like, oh shit, okay, that's gonna really do some damage to him. It's gonna be a problem. It's gonna take him out of the fight for a bit, and then he's just there waiting to fight Superman like nothing happened. So there's things like that that are just like what. The one thing I did like was. At the end, when he has to, like, run back in time, essentially. Yeah. That sequence where they were, like, showing, like, time, like, rebuilding history. That was was pretty cool. As he ran backwards through it. I like that. That was, that was a pretty sick sequence. I see, the thing is, is, like, if you, if you don't have two extra hours of garbage around that, it's so much more impactful, like. And the thing, the problem with that sequence is they didn't build up to that. They didn't show that that was an ability that he had. Right. They they said they briefly earlier in the movie, they mentioned something about r- rules that he had, but right. they didn't really get into that. He uh, never, like, lists his rules. Right. He just says, you know, I, I it gets weird for me with space time when I get too close to the speed of light. I don't, and then he says breaking his rule. Yeah. So it, I think, yeah. And I guess, you know, again, to some extent, it's like, yeah, that's fine. We didn't need more character development. We could we could infer what the rules were based sure. on what he was saying, but it just does, does seem a little out of place when something like like if it's going to be that ending thing that saves the whole movie's day, like yep. I think you should at least reference it one time earlier in the movie, and you should show him like not able to do it yeah. or trying and failing or something. Like there should be some sort of like you say, there should be something that sort of builds to that moment where he literally you know runs backward through time to save everyone but that was that sequence that probably was my favorite part of the movie was watching that part where the flash is running backwards through time and it's basically you know rebuilding again the fabric of space time as he runs through like that shit was pretty cool and the visualization they used for that was cool yeah that was that was one of the things that like i really found like really enjoyable that was one of the few moments in the movie i was like oh yeah okay 
And, you know, having that at the end, like, here's the thing, like, if the movie had ended shortly after that, and it could have, by the way, it really could have, I would have been so much happier, but they just kept going. And, and, and it's, and, you know, it just, you reach a certain point where you, someone has got to be able to step in and be like, Hey man. (laughs) <laughs> like you were you know what i mean like we don't need to tack on 30 different things here yeah. like and it seems that nobody was gonna say anything to him about it and this yeah. is what you get you he know? probably knew too he didn't care he's like you know what fuck it i'm gonna throw everything here now yeah, that I- that also would imply that there is no future if he was like i'm putting it all in It'd be what it is. You know, Mm -hmm. that could imply that there is no future because he wanted to just get it all in. And then my hands are washed in the situation. I did what I could. Yeah. You know, but the thing is, is it's like, man, never say never. Like they can say they're abandoning whatever. They're still making Aquaman Mm 2. They um, they're still moving forward with this other uh, uh, DC Joker project. There's some still discussion now about Jared Leto coming back because he did this character like Mm -hmm he plays Joker for a little bit in this one. Like there's just some, there's some possibility of, you know, different things occurring in the future. You never know. So I, I wouldn't be too shocked. It, it felt like a, we're going to dip our toes in the water thing. But like you said, it's possible that we're it's just like, yeah, we're entering all the bullets in the chamber. Cause this is, this is the end of the story. So we're just telling it, mm-hmm. but then why do you, and they're just like, it just ends on, by the way, I'm the Martian Manhunter. All right, we'll see you later. Yeah. <laughs> like, we'll never have this guy in any other movie again. <laughs> we'll end this one with him. Yeah. It's like, he exists in this universe, folks. Just want to let you know. <laughs> DC out. Like, Interesting it, casting choice for that, too, by the way. But it, yeah, I mean, it's... I like that guy. Yeah, and uh, I don't know his name. He was in Dollhouse. I don't, I don't know his name, his name off the top of my head, but it seems a little bit famous to yeah. be cast for two seconds and then never participate again. But in any case, yeah, again, I would give this movie like a four out of ten. Like, I don't, I can't, like, I would never watch this again. I don't think I would watch a sequel. Yeah, if someone would say, if someone asked, like, and they hadn't watched Justice League at all yet, I would say watch the first one. Like, watch the original theatrical release. Yeah, I mean... I would, probably, watch I would say, like, the watch other. the theatrical release, release and watch this one's ending. Like, like yeah. well, not like that the whole ending, the ending, like, just of, the ending part. Like, Yeah, if you could watch, like, the last, like, the ending sequence, the ending fight sequence of the re- this movie. Yeah, the resolution to the Steppenwolf dark side stuff of this is better than the original theatrical release, but... Then everything else is just, like, a complete... Yeah, I, exactly. no, I totally agree. There, yeah, you... <laughs> You could probably piece together yeah. a decent movie if you went through both of these and did that. And you know what? I have no desire to <laughs> do anything like the that. The straighter cut. No, yeah. The, the straighter not cut. Gonna happen. You're going to do your own cut. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, uh, I've i got really... I've got nothing good to say about it, honestly. Let's now see. we've added another 30 minutes to this already four-hour experience that we probably shouldn't. That's actually a good point. <laughs> like, I'm like sitting here, I hate it so much. Let's talk about it. For Let's just let's sit here and talk about this thing that we absolutely despise. That is a very weird way to handle handle these situations, but that was the promising young woman thing too. Mm-hmm. It was like I was like really mad about the end of that, and I was like, all right, well, so let's go talk about it for forty five minutes. Like, <laughs> it's how, I don't know. I think it's the only way to get it out sometimes, or right. the only way to deal with it. You just have to bitch about it, you know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I uh, Zack Snyder will never get the benefit of the doubt from me again, at least on superhero movies, because this was. 
B.A.D. I am going to watch his new zombie movie coming out. We'll have to see how that one is. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. And that is The Blunt Doctor Show. Discussing NBA, politics, the Snyder Cut, all the things that you might expect from me when I'm intoxicated or whatever the case may be. Special thanks to my man Keith Strader for showing up to talk about one of the worst movies I've ever seen and also for suffering through said movie in order to talk about it with me. And before we go, I will just ask once again that anytime you want to choose hatred, anytime you want to choose pain or violence, please just think about anyone else around you. Think about everyone who loves you because this world is more complex than that. And for all the pain that we feel, we can turn it around and we can't help each other and we can't have a better 2021 and a better 2022. So let's do that. Let's believe in each other. Let's love each other. Let's help each other. And this is the Blunt Doctor Show. Peace.